This morning we're going to be beginning a new series on the subject of relationships. Now to be perfectly honest with you, the reason I'm teaching on relationships is because every one of us have, had, or will have a problem with the relationship. It might be a problem with your spouse, it might be a problem with your boss or one of your co-workers, it even might be a problem with one of your family members such as a child or a sibling. But the bottom line is this, all of us have, had, or will have a problem with a person. That's just a part of life. Now, sometimes it's not that big of a deal. In fact, if you have a problem with someone or they have a problem with you that you really don't like, you're probably thinking, no big deal. I really didn't like that person anyway, so it really doesn't matter to me if there's a problem. I just won't see them anymore. And that works, unless it's family or someone you have to work with every day or someone you have to see every day. If that's the case, you can't ignore it. So where do we look for help to solve a relationship problem? Well, the smart thing would be to go to an expert. And the foremost expert on relationships is not Dr. Phil, believe it or not. It's definitely not Oprah. The foremost world's expert on relationship is Jesus Christ. Jesus was great at relationships. Just look at the way he bonded with people. Just look at the way that people were attracted to him. And look at the way that he treated people. He was definitely great at relationships. Now, that doesn't mean that everyone liked him. In fact, some people wanted to kill him, and eventually they did. Which just goes to show that there are some people you can't have a good relationship with no matter what you do. And that's why Paul wrote what he did in the book of Romans, the 12th chapter, verse number 18. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there because I'd like you to take some notes in the margin. I always want you to do that. Follow along with me as I read Romans 12, 18. It says, If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Now, why in the world would Paul say, if it be possible? Well, it's because Paul knew that sometimes it's just not possible to live peaceably with particular people. The truth is there are some people that you're never going to get along with no matter what you do. You're never going to have a right, right relationship with them no matter what you do. And Paul knew that. That's why he said, if it be possible, because sometimes it's just not possible. And Jesus was the perfect example of that. You had people who hated Jesus for no reason at all. And it didn't matter what Jesus did, they didn't like him. And they were never going to like him. Well, actually that's not true. They hated him because he always did God's will. And unless he would have stopped doing what God wanted him to do, they were never going to like him. I want you to notice what Jesus said in the book of John, the fifth chapter, verse number 43. Jesus said this, I have come to you in my Father's name, and you have rejected me. Yet if others come in their own name, you gladly welcome them. Now, what did Jesus mean by that? What Jesus was actually saying is, if I would have came doing my own thing, doing what I wanted to do, every one of you would have liked me because I've seen you do that. All these people come, they're doing their own thing, doing what they want to do, and you warmly receive them. But I come doing what only God wants me to do. And because I do what God wants me to do, you don't like me. But I'm digressing. That's not what I want to teach on this morning. My point is this. Jesus was and is the foremost expert on relationships. So if you need help with any type of relationship problem, he's the go-to guy. 
He's the person you need to go to. So in this series, we're going to study some of the basic principles that Jesus taught concerning relationships. So let's start with the basics. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Matthew, the 22nd chapter. I'm going to read verses 35 through 40. And if you don't mind, I want you to turn in your Bible because I'm going to share some really great things that it would be helpful if you wrote these things in the margin of your Bible. So follow along with me as I read this scripture. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God. With all of your heart, and with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now, we're all familiar with this story. If you grew up in church, you probably heard a thousand sermons on this particular passage of Scripture. And maybe if you've only been uh, born again maybe two years, you've been to church enough to, to have heard someone talk about this passage of Scripture. So we all know the story. There was this lawyer, an expert in the law who was testing Jesus. He was trying to find out just how smart Jesus really was. Well, not really. What he was trying to do was he was trying to get Jesus to say something that he could use against him. Again, he was one of those that didn't like Jesus because he was doing God's will. And so they were trying to build a case against Jesus. But again, that's another story. The main thing is, he asked him this question. What's the greatest commandment in the law? Now, I want you to underline the word greatest. Greatest is translated from the Greek word megas, which in this context means most important. So what he was asking was this. What's the most important commandment in the Torah? Now, I want you to notice how the NLT translates this. It says, teacher... Which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Now, the reason I read that is because I want you to understand. That's what it's actually saying in the original Greek. It's as, he's asking, what is the most important commandment? Now, supposedly, there are 613 commandments in the law of Moses, the Torah. 248 of them are positive commandments. In other words, they tell you what to do. 365 of those commandments are negative commandments. They tell you not to do something. And what this guy wanted to know was, out of these 613 commandments, which one is the most important? And without any hesitation, this is what Jesus said. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all of thy heart and with all of thy soul and with all of thy mind. This is the first, in other words, top priority and greatest commandment. And then Jesus went further. He said this, and the second is like unto it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Wow. Out of the 613 commandments in the Torah, the two most important are these, to love God and to love people. Now, the first commandment, to love God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, is found in Deuteronomy 6.5. Remember, this expert in the law was asking Jesus, what is the most important commandment in the law, in the Torah? So when Jesus gave this answer, he was actually quoting one of the commandments that's found in the Old Testament. It's found in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse number 5. Go ahead and turn there with me if you would. It says this, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. Interesting. 
Jesus added something to it. He added, with all of my mind. We'll get to that in a little bit. The second most important commandment is actually quoted from the book of Leviticus, the 19th chapter, verse number 18, the second part of that verse. Go ahead and turn there and let me read that. It says, Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. Now, I want you to notice, Jesus said the second. What did he mean by the second? He meant the second most important commandment. In the second most important commandment, he was quoting out of Leviticus, the 19th chapter, verse number 18, and that verse starts with this, thou shalt not avenge. In other words, thou shalt not get revenge. And then he says, thou shalt not bear any grudge against them. Now, people, listen to me. If you're holding a grudge against someone, then you are violating the second most important commandment in the Bible. You know, sometimes we think that relationships aren't that important. Sometimes we think it's okay if I don't like this person or if I hold a grudge against this person. But I want you to understand, in the context of which the second most important commandment is quoted, he specifically says, you're not to get revenge and you're not to hold a grudge. And I would dare say that 90% of us here hold a grudge against someone. You are violating the second most important commandment in the Old Testament. Now... After Jesus listed the two most important commandments, he added one more thing. He said, all of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now, I want you to underline the word hang. Hang is translated from the Greek word krimenumi. Krimenumi means to hang on something or to suspend on something. Now, whenever you hang something on a peg or a hook or whatever, it naturally falls underneath whatever you hung it on. Because of gravity. I brought up a towel here. It's on a hanger. Now, what do we do with hangers? We hang hangers. So we're going to hang this here on this pulpit. Let's just hang it. Now, I want you to notice what happened because of gravity. It immediately fell underneath what it was hung on. We didn't have to worry about it going, whoo! Women, you'd have to worry if you wore a skirt all the time. Of course, with wind, you might have to. But... Without wind, you don't have to worry. That skirt is going to hang down. It's going to naturally fall underneath what it's hung, which is your hips. Now, does that make sense? So this is a figure of speech. What it means is that every other commandment in the Torah falls under one of these two commandments. Now let me say that again because that is so important. You need to understand what Jesus is saying here. He is saying that every other commandment, all of the 611 commandments that are in there will fall underneath these, one of these other two because there's 613. In other words, every other commandment can be categorized under one of these two commandments. It either falls under loving God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, or it falls under loving your neighbor as yourself. Now, I'm going to give an example to illustrate what I'm talking about, and I'm going to use the Ten Commandments as an example. The first five of the Ten Commandments falls under loving God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I want you to think about this. What are the first five commandments of the Ten? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make any false images, or in other words, idols, 
Thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain. Thou shalt remember the Sabbath. Thou shalt respect or honor those in authority. Why? Because you love God. All of these things have to do with loving God. If I truly love God, I won't have any other gods before him. I won't worship any idols. I will not take the Lord's name in vain. I will go to church on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights. I will honor those in authority. Yes, as difficult as it is, I will honor President Obama. Why? Because I love God. The last five of the Ten Commandments falls under loving your neighbor as yourself. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not lie. Thou shalt not covet your neighbor's wife or property. All of these things have to do with loving others and treating others the way that you want to be treated. People, I don't want anyone to kill me, so I won't kill. I don't want anyone sleeping with my wife, so I won't sleep with anyone's wife. I don't want anyone to steal from me, so I won't steal. I don't want anyone to lie to me, so I won't lie. I don't want anyone to cover, covet my wife or my property, so I won't covet theirs. I want you to understand every one of these last five commandments in the Ten Commandments can be categorized under loving your neighbor as yourself. That's what Jesus meant when he said all of the other commandments hang on these two commandments. Wow. Every other commandment can be categorized under one of these two commandments. Now, let me give you a principle. And if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. First of all, let me explain what a principle is because we might have some visitors here. If you don't know what a principle is, let me explain what a principle is. A principle is a fundamental truth that explains how something works. So if I'm teaching on marriage and I give you a marriage principle, I'm giving you a fundamental truth that explains how marriage works. If I'm teaching on finances and I want to give you a financial principle, I'm going to give you a fundamental truth that explains how finances work. Sometimes there's many principles, and there is in the subject of finances or marriage. There's also many principles when it comes to relationships. Well, I'm going to give you a principle of life. This is a fundamental truth that explains how life works. Now, people, whenever someone gives you a life principle, you need to write that down. Because we're living life. And we want to know how this thing called life works. So I'm going to give you a life principle. And if you're smart, you're writing this down. Here it is. According to Jesus, the most important thing in life is relationships. Let me say that again. According to Jesus, the most important thing in life is relationships. First, a relationship with God. Loving Him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That is the most important thing in life. So if I came to you two weeks from now and I said, what is the most important thing in life? You should be able to say, loving God. Jesus said that this is the greatest commandment in the Bible. What does he mean by the greatest commandment? It's the Greek word megas. It means the most important. This is the most important commandment in the Bible, to love God. That's the most important thing in life. The second most important thing in life is what? Loving people. Having a good relationship with others. Loving others is the second most important thing in life. So according to Jesus... The most important thing in life is relationships. 
Trust me, there is nothing more important than relationships. Relationships are more important than money. Relationships are more important than personal happiness. Oh my gosh. In America, that sounds like blasphemy. In America, the most important thing that we think is is being happy. I deserve to be happy. I'm not happy in this relationship, or I'm not happy with this job, or I'm not happy with the car I'm driving, and everything in the media is telling us that you deserve to be happy. I'm here to tell you, relationships are more important than your personal happiness. Relationships are more important than anything according to Jesus. And if you don't get that, bless your heart, you don't get what life is all about. Life is all about relationships. I want you to turn to the book of, the Luke, of Luke chapter 12, verse number 15, and I'm only going to read the last part because it's the part I want to zero in on. And I don't want you to get sidetracked by anything else. Notice what Luke 12, 15 says. Life is not measured by how much you own. Did you hear that? Your success, your life is not measured by how much you own. Your life is not measured by how big of a house you live in or how nice of a car you drive or how nice of clothes you wear. No. Your life is not measured by that. Now, most of you don't get that because you bought into the lie that your success is determined on how big of a house you live in, how nice of a car you drive, how nice of clothes you have, how much money you have in the bank. But the truth of the matter is that is not the measurement of life. That's not how you measure success. And one day you're going to stand before God and you're going to realize it. Or hopefully you're wise enough to find that out before you stand before God. It might be on your deathbed. But I'm here to tell you, one day you're going to understand that. Now, most people don't get that. I'm going to be honest. Some of the richest people in the world, and I'm going to say something, and I don't mean it in a bad way, but you'll understand why I'm saying it because it's for emphasis. Some of the most wealthy men and women are buttholes. They're rears. And you go to their funeral, and guess what they do? They stand up, and they talk about all they've accomplished, and everyone's listening to that, and you go, boy, we're impressed with that. But at the same time, you're thinking, I couldn't stand the guy. His wife's not crying. His kids are there, and all they want to know is, what did they get in the will? And no one really cares about the person. You know, probably for the first time, now that he's dead, he realizes because his life's not over, it's just life, his life's just over on this earth. But for the first time, he realizes he missed out on what life was all about. People, life is all about relationships. And he tells us here in Luke, the 12th chapter, verse number 15, life is not measured by how much you own. Well, if life is not measured by how much you own, what is life measured by? Well, I'm glad you asked. Life is measured by the quality of your relationships. Let me say that again. Life is measured by the quality of your relationships. How good is your relationship with God? How good is your relationship with your spouse? How good is your relationship with your children? How good is your relationship with your friends? How good is your relationship with your coworkers? How good is your relationship with the people in your community? People, life is measured by the quality of your relationships. Now, most of us don't get that. We think that life is measured by the toys that we own. But the truth of the matter is that is not the way that life is measured. And one day you will find that out if you're not wise 
enough to know it now. So what I want to do this morning is I want to start with the most important relationship. What is the most important thing in life? Loving God. Good job. Loving God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So we're going to start with the most important relationship. Your relationship with God. Now, according to Jesus... You're supposed to love God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And that is the most important thing in life. So how do you do that? He told you to love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. How do you do that? Well, first of all, you need to understand that this is not a figure of speech. This is not a mirrorism. Now, does everyone know what a mirrorism is? A mirrorism is a figure of speech where you list all of the parts of something to emphasize the whole or the entirety of something. Let me give an example to illustrate what I'm talking about. How many of you have ever heard someone make a comment like this? I gave them everything. Lock, stock, and barrel. Anyone ever heard something like that? Anyone ever heard that figure of speech, lock, stock, and barrel? No one's ever heard that. Honey, we're weird. We're the only ones that's ever heard that. Lock, stock, and barrel is a mirrorism. You're listing all of the major parts of a gun to emphasize everything. I gave them everything. Lock, stock, and barrel. That is a mirrorism. It's emphasizing everything. Now, some scholars think that when Jesus told us to love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength, it was just a figure of speech, a mirrorism. They believe that, that what Jesus meant is that we're supposed to love God with every fiber of our being, with everything that we have. But those scholars are wrong. They don't know what they're talking about. People loving God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength is not a figure of speech. It's meant to be taken literally. God expects you to love him with all of your heart. He expects you to love him with all of your soul, and that's different than your heart. He expects you to love him with all of your mind, which is different than the other two. And he expects you to love him with all of your strength. And Jesus, when he said this, meant you to take it literally. Now, how do I know that? Well, I know that because I understand Koine Greek. And let me explain a few things. The soul consists of the intellect, the will, and the emotions. So when you talk about the soul or you're reading through the Bible and it talks about a man's soul, let me explain something. Your soul is eternal. That's why the moment you die, it's not over, people. Your physical body is gone, but as Jesus was teaching with the rich man and Lazarus, they both died. The rich man went to the bosom of Abraham. I mean, I'm sorry. Lazarus went to the bosom of Abraham, and the rich man went to hell. But both of them could feel, both of them could think, both of them could see, all of these different things. Why? Because our soul is eternal. Now, of course, after Jesus Christ was resurrected and ascended to heaven, the bosom of Abraham no longer exists. And now when a person dies, if they're a Christian, their soul goes to heaven. If they're not a Christian, their soul goes to hell. Trust me, it is not over. Why? Because your soul is eternal. But what does your soul consist of? It consists of your intellect, your will, and your emotions. But in Koine Greek, that means common Greek, the Greek of Jesus' day. If you wanted to emphasize the intellect, the will, and the emotion, 
and you wanted to specifically talk about each one separately, then you use the word heart to indicate the emotions. You use the word so to, uh, to, to indicate your will. You, you use the word mind to indicate your thoughts. Why did you do that? Because you wanted to be able to talk about each one separately. So when it says that we're to love God with all of our heart, it means that we're to love God with all of our emotions. Now men, I know how much you like sharing your feelings with other people. Right? Probably after today's message, you're going to want to go home. You're going to want to take your spouse into the bedroom. Well, let's take living room. And you're going to grab both hands and you're going to express to your wife how much you love her and cherish her as you look deeply into her eyes. And then you're going to take your kids and you're going to take them to the dining room table and you're going to sit down and you're going to look into each one's eyes and you're going to tell them how you really feel about them. Because men, you love doing that, don't you? But I want you to understand something. That's what God wants from you. He wants you to love him emotionally he wants you to share your feelings with him he wants you to worship him in a way that expresses how you feel about him now let me show you something interesting the Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart and when we look at that we try to figure out why was David a man after God's own heart because let's be honest every once in a while David did some things that I can't really agree with yeah and not just before Bathsheba. I mean, when he got his first wife, uh, second wife, Abigail, he was trying to, in a sense, extort money from her husband. And they'd been watching after the sheep. They'd been making sure that no one took advantage. And so he comes in and says, you need to give me some sheep. You need to give us some food. You need to give us certain things so that we can have this festival before the Lord. And he said, who are you that I should do this? And so when David hears this, he says, man, you have just really insulted me. So he decides that he's not only going to kill him, but he's going to kill every male in his family. And he's on his way there. And when Abigail hears about it, what does she do? She gets all these great things for him, and she comes, and she falls down and says, you know, my husband is a fool. She was a wise woman. But she said, I know he insulted you, but I want you to say it's my fault. If I'd have heard this, I'd have taken care of it. Please, please don't do this. And, of course, we know the story. He suffers a stroke, and then David ends up marrying Abigail. But what's kind of interesting about this is that when we notice what David was doing, my I can't go along with that. And then David not only sleeps with another man's wife, but he has the husband murdered when he can't hide the fact that he's not the father child David is. And so I look at these things that David did, and every once in a while I get to thinking, man, how could he be a man after God's own heart? But I'll tell you why he was a man after God's own heart. It was because even when he screwed up, he would come before God and he would just open up. And he would share his innermost, deepest feelings, thoughts, emotions. If he screwed up, he would come to God and say, God, you saw this. I don't know how I could have been so stupid. If he was upset, he came in and he shared his anger with God. If he was excited, he shared his excitement with God. Whatever it was, he did this. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Psalms, chapter 6. I'm going to read just one particular instance when David did this. This is chapter 6, verses 6 through 9. It says, I am worn out from sobbing all night. Now, here's this great warrior. 
I'm telling you, David was a warrior. Killed a lot of people. But here he is before God, and he's saying, I am worn out from sobbing. Who is he sobbing in front of God? All night I fled my bed with weeping, drenching it with my tears. My vision is blurred. Have you ever cried so much that your eyes got kind of swollen? I can't remember this except when I was a kid, and I can still remember this. You get to sobbing so much. Even talk. Ever been there? And what happens when you do that? You draw to wipe the tears and before long your eyes get puffy and you can't see. And he says, my vision is blurred by my grief. My eyes are worn out because of all my enemies. Go away all you who do evil for the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord will answer my prayer. Do you realize Just crying before God, he considered to be prayer. Why? Because David was the type of guy that when he came before God, he just opened himself up emotionally. The reason he was a man after God's own heart is because he was willing to open up his heart to God. God, this is who I am. Lock, stock, and barrel. Here's a merism. But anyways, as you read through the Psalms, here's what you find. You find that David held nothing back from God. When he was hurt, he shared it with God. When he was excited, he shared it with God. When he was angry, he shared it with God. When David prayed, he opened up to God. He not only did that when he prayed, but he also did that when he worshipped. The Bible says that when they were bringing the Ark of the Covenant in, he actually began to dance before the Lord. Out in front of everyone. Now, I'll just be honest with you. David was a Jew, which meant he really didn't have any rhythm. So I can kind of imagine how this dance might have been. It might have looked like the funky chicken. How many of you know what I'm talking about? But the reason he danced before the Lord is because he wanted to worship God with his emotions. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I want us to be able to worship freely before God, but I don't want any of you dancing here. And the reason I don't want anyone dancing here is because the majority of you are white and white people can't dance. No, I'm just teasing. <laughs> but even if you are unique and you can dance, I want you to be able to take that worship uh, uh, CD and put it in at home and dance before the Lord. But here, we're still kind of seeker-sensitive. Not kind of, we are seeker-sensitive. And there's nothing wrong with that, people. Jesus was seeker-sensitive, and, and, and we actually take 1 Corinthians 14 and apply it the way that God wants us to apply it. And we don't want you to draw people's attention off of God and onto yourself. I've always had a problem with the song. I am free to dance. And I think, no, no, not here. At home, you're free to dance. I am free to run. No, no, not here. Run outside. You know, I'm not the type that wants to see someone go, Woo! And start running around the sanctuary. Now, you know, I really admire that because they're truly worshiping God with their emotions and just letting it out. But I also understand the rest of the people going, So we, we, we take 1 Corinthians 14 and we apply that and we understand what God's word says. But I do want you to see, when you're alone and by yourself, you take that worship CD, you put it in the CD player, and you worship before God. And here, because it's okay, let me tell you, when we're worshiping, you need to be able to close your eyes. If you want to lift your hands, you lift your hands. You know, let's be honest with you. The majority of you are like this. Thank you, Lord, we praise you because you're wonderful. 
You're not worshiping God. Well, I don't like our music. Well, I didn't like our music for the first 22 years of our ministry. I still worship the Lord. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what's taking me. We're worshiping God. And David was a man after God's own heart because his heart was opened up to God. Now, let me give you a little tip, men, on how to learn to share your feelings with God. Oh, boy. Every man's going to let me write this down. (laughs) First of all, get alone to pray. And the reason you need to get alone to pray is because what I'm going to tell you needs to be done privately. When you pray, you need to pray out loud. And you need to pray with feelings. I can remember years ago, God had called me to preach, and probably the most unfruitful part of the ministry was my prayer time. You know, God has gifted me with being a teacher. I can read the Word of God, and it just makes sense to me. And the more I studied, I can see how this fits here, and this fits here, and this fits there. And it's all like a little glove that comes together. Everything fits. I'd start to pray, and it's like, I'm not feeling it. How many of you are like that when you pray? You're not feeling it. Well, I realized the reason I wasn't feeling it is because, you know, I I prayed silently to myself. And I'd be praying silently to myself, and, you know, before I knew it, I was uh, thinking about all the to-do things I had to do. I was thinking about all of these little tasks or what I was going to do tomorrow or whatever. And, And it's like the Holy Spirit spoke to me, and he said, Son, pray to me. Pray out loud. And so I got into the habit of praying to God out loud. And I'd go out and pray. And then when I started praying out loud, I put feeling into it because I'm talking to God. If I was angry, I would share my anger to God. If I was excited, I would share my excitement with God. If my heart was breaking, I would come to God and I would lay down on the floor and I would just pour it out. And something happened in my prayer life. It's like all of the sudden I had this intimate relationship with God. For the first time, as I shared with God, God shared with me. And I understood why David was a man after God's own heart. The reason he was a man after God's own heart is because he wanted to share with God what was on his heart so he could know what was on God's heart. And when you begin to do that, your relationship becomes intimate. Now, if you noticed... Jesus started with this. You are to love God with all of your heart. And your heart is your emotions. Then he went further. He said we're to love God with all our heart and all of our soul. So when it says to love God with all of our soul, it means to love God with all of your will. People, developing a relationship takes work. Maintaining a relationship takes work. So you have to decide that you are going to work at your relationship with God. You have to decide that you're going to love Him. So you discipline yourself to pray. You discipline yourself to read your Bible. You discipline yourself to go to church. Let me just tell you something. Some of you are hit and miss with church. Now, we're talking about the most important commandment in the Bible is to love God, to develop a relationship with Him. Church is vital. Church should be a habit. You're either in the habit of going to church or you're out of the habit. I see this all the time. People get out of the habit of going to church. So Sunday rolls around, and the kids get up and they go, are we going to church? They don't get up saying, we're going to church. Why? Because they know that, you know, we don't always go to church. 
People, you discipline yourself to go to church. You discipline yourself to do whatever is necessary to have a right relationship with God. That's what it means to love God with all of your soul. Now, when it says to love God with all of your mind, it means to love him with your thoughts. All of your thoughts. So, you're supposed to love him by thinking about him. You know, if you really love someone, you think about them. Think about when you're dating men, not when you're married, but when you're dating. You're thinking about mm, that sweet thing all the time. The problem is, by the time we get married, because the way we are, we're hunters. We've caught our prey. We no longer have to hunt them anymore. Therefore, we quit thinking about them. But guess what? Our wives will call us up and we're like, honey, I'm at work. What do you want? Well, I was just thinking about you. and Yeah, mm, sorry. You're watching the football game. Your wife comes in. And that is not a good time to want to talk, let me tell you from personal experience. But your wife comes in and she says, Honey, I was just thinking. Great's what you think. But anyways, I want you to understand. If we love God, we're to think about him. We're to think about what he's done for us. We're to think about his promises. We're to think about his word. And we're to make sure that we don't think about things we shouldn't. That's what it means to love God with all of your mind. I want you to turn to the book of Philippians, the fourth chapter, verse number eight. Most of us breeze through this. This just sounds religious. But I want to just focus your attention on one thing. It says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one Final thing. Now, now listen to me here because this is very important. Whenever Paul makes a list of anything, the first thing on the list and the last thing on the list are the most important. It's always that way. Did you not know that? When you go back and you look at the characteristics of love in 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, the first thing on the list and the last thing on the list are the most important. Paul was always that way. He started with a bang and he ended with a climax. That's the way Paul did things. So he always kept the most important things to be at the first and at the end. So now he says, and one final thing, most important. We're going to end with the climax. Fix your thoughts. Now, look at that word fix. It says, fix your thoughts. In other words, make yourself. That's what it means by fix. You make yourself think on things that are true, things that are honorable, things that are right, things that are pure, things that are lovely, things that are admirable. Think about the things that are excellent and worthy of praise. You know, the key to walking in the Spirit is casting down vain imaginations. Men, when we get upset, what do we do? We start thinking about how we could wring that other person's neck. We start thinking about what we could do to them physically. Now, I want you to understand something. You're not walking in the Spirit when you do that. You're walking in the flesh. And the Bible tells us how to walk in the Spirit. He says to cast down vain imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. In other words, everything in God's Word. Anything that exalts itself above the words, you cast those things down. And then he says, bring into captivity every thought unto the obedience of Jesus Christ. In other words, I need to think the word. I need to think what God's word says about the situation. When I have someone I want to wring their neck of, the Bible says I'm not to hold any grudge or want to avenge myself. I'm not to want revenge, but I'm to love my neighbor as myself. Not only that, it says to pray for my enemies. To do good to those 
who wish to curse me or to do bad to me. So what I have to do is say, you know what? I'm thinking the wrong thing. I need to fix my thoughts on what the Word of God says. And if we love God, we are to make ourselves think about Him and think about His Word. And last but not least, when it says to love God with all of your strength, it means to love Him with all of your ability. In other words, you don't hold anything back. Loving God is the most important thing in life. He not only said it's the greatest commandment, He said loving God is the first and greatest commandment. That word first, protopos in the Greek, actually means top priority. Loving God is your top priority. Loving God is your top priority above everything. Now, this is going to come as a shock, but you're going to understand why I'm saying this in just a second. Loving God is a greater priority than loving Lisa. Loving God is a greater priority than loving my kids. Loving God is my top priority, and it's the most important thing in life. Now, why is that? Hmm. It's because if you can't or won't, Love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. What makes you think that you can or will love your neighbor as yourself? You can't and you won't. The truth is you've got to have a right relationship with God before you can have a right relationship with people. And that even works in my marriage and in my family. If I'm going to love Lisa the way that God wants me to love her, I need to love God first. Because I can guarantee you he will purge all of these things that are selfish in me. He will purge all of these things that are ungodly within me. He'll purge everything out that needs to be. And he'll give me a true love for my wife. But I've got to keep the priorities straight. People, if you don't love God the way you're supposed to, you won't be able to love people the way you're supposed to. Let's be honest. Some people are more difficult to love than others. Can I hear an amen on that? Might be your husband, might be your wife, might even be one of your kids. Some of your kids are more difficult to love than the other kids. I'm here to speak the truth. And it takes a supernatural power to love those kind of people. And that supernatural power can only come from God. That's why it's so important to understand the top priority is to love God with all of your soul. Well, let's start with the first one. Let's, we're to love God with all of our heart emotionally. Let's get intimate with God. Let's let him know my heart and I know his heart. Then all of my soul, I'm going to discipline myself. And that reason why it's so important to discipline myself is because now we're going to get to the point where I have to make myself think upon him and think upon his word. And then I'm going to give my whole strength to do it. With all of my ability, I'm going to love him. And when I begin to do that, God does such a work in me. Before I know it, I am not the same man I used to be. The power of the Holy Spirit has changed me to make me the husband I need to be, to make me the father I need to be, to make me the pastor that I need to be, to make me the neighbor that I need to be, to make me the friend that I need to be. The top priority in life, the most important thing in life is to love God. The second most important thing is to love people. All of the material possessions in the world, they're squat compared to relationships.